whiskeys and Kool-Aid. Amen. Uh, Stephanie, can we get those lights, please? Or somebody, can we get those lights? Hallelujah. Thank you so much. We are going to um, continue down the same path that we started yesterday. Not yesterday, last Sunday. So let's turn to uh, 1 John chapter 5. And... I tell you what, anywhere we go, she's the loudest person in the room. Anywhere we go, like anywhere. We were doing a barn revival in Cynthiana yesterday, and she was the loudest person in the room. Praise God. Amen. God's going to use her voice. Amen. And, her, and the strength of her will. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Trey, that, that um, dream is very much in line with where I'm going today. Really cool, man. Really cool. Um, so, 1 John chapter 5. And, you know, we, we, we started taking a fresh look at faith. And um, faith is so necessary in order to really take what God has given to us. And we spent years of our lives really always teaching on faith and focusing on faith. And if you focus just on faith and you don't focus on Jesus, <laughs> you're going to end up in legalism and you're going to end up trying to use your faith to get God to like you and to twist God's arm and to get God to bless you. And that's a very unhealthy place to be. Um, at the end of the day, our relationship with God, it's a relationship. And the, and the purpose of believing and the purpose of faith is so that you can enjoy relationship. It's not so that you can corner God and get Him to do what you want Him to do. And, um, and so we, we, we learned about faith for years, but we didn't have any faith. And because we were going about it the wrong way, and so then we, you know, we had a season where we really kind of focused on grace, and, um, and that was a beautiful season because, honestly, the, the greatest place that your faith can be is for you to not be conscious of your faith and thinking about your faith. Um, for example, if there, and I think a great example is this, if we look out that window over there and there's a sunset that's happening... <clears throat> the less aware we are of the window and the more we are aware of the sunset, the better the experience is. And faith is your window that you see Jesus in. Amen? And, and so we don't want to be super faith conscious and always trying to get faith in all these types of things. And there's a balance between faith and grace. And what, what grace has done and continues to do is, the, is it removes every element of disqualification. I mean, everybody in this room, you are qualified to receive everything that Jesus has done. All the promises in him are yes and amen. And the grace of God has removed any concept of disqualification because the blood has cleansed you and made you qualified to receive all the promises of God. I mean, you know, there's no one in this room that's any better than anybody else. 
It's really important. That, just that concept right there, we've got to get that concept to the body of Christ because the body of Christ as a whole, they have these, this kind of pyramid scheme where like, you know, the most important person is the pastor, then the first row, second row, third row, fourth row, and all that type of stuff. And it builds this hierarchy and class of Christians that's not biblical. There, there, there is no one in this room that's more right with God than somebody else. There's no one in this room that has more faith than somebody else. There's no one in this room that has more of Jesus. I mean, you know, we are all sons and daughters of God, and we all, have this, we all have the same Father. As long as everybody's born again. Now, if someone's not born again, they just need to get born again and get saved, and then you get all of those things. But there's no concept of hierarchy, and, and what the revelation of grace did is it removed this sense of disqualification. And so what we did was we taught faith from the standpoint, well, the reason your faith is not working is this and this and this and this and this. And what we did was we basically disqualified everybody from receiving except the person behind the pulpit. And so then everyone just wanted to try to be like the person behind the pulpit because they were the person with great faith and everybody else was just peons. And if they would try harder and do more and read more and be more, then they would have more faith. And yeah, Praise God. Yeah. And so, and so what it did was, is it, it really, um, it made the church very man-centered. And it made it all about the, the, the person behind the pulpit or the person that was on the stage. How many of the church is not supposed to be man-centered? How many of the church is supposed to be Jesus-centered? It's supposed, to, it's supposed to be all about Him. Uh, the whole purpose of someone who's standing up here is do their best to step out of the way and point to Jesus. That's, that's the whole Him we preach. We don't preach ourselves. We don't preach our own faith. We don't preach our own convictions. We, we just preach Jesus. And in preaching Jesus, that really is where the secret of the development and the release of faith actually is because it's all in Jesus. How many of the people that receive miracles from Jesus during his earthly walk were people that had faith? Now, <clears throat> the reason that they had faith is they saw a hero. They saw someone who was going to rescue them, who was going to heal them, who was going to help them. They weren't conscious of themselves and what they had qualified for. They were just conscious of the hero. And, and, and if we want to be a people who are, who are really walking in faith, we have to realize that it's not our strength, as Trey was sharing. It's not our power. It's not our might. It's actually all about Jesus. Jesus is the hero of your story. Jesus is the hero of my story. I'm not the hero in my story. And, and if any believer is doing it properly, you should never be the hero in your story. A pastor should never be the hero in your story. A teacher should never be the hero in the story. If you're boasting in a pastor or a teacher and you're identifying with them and, you're, and, and, you, and, you, and it's all about them and them, 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 you're, 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 you, you have an Old Testament type of approach to God. There's no middleman anymore. Jesus, you brought God in here with you when you came. You are the temple of the living God. God lives inside of you. This, this building is not the temple. 
We're just here because it's a place where we can gather together and we can do it easily. You're the temple. You are the church. And you hear God for you. Amen. You have your own Bible that you can read. Amen. Now, there are leaders that are here for the purpose of equipping the saints, for equipping the children of God and helping them to grow. But at the end of the day, your boast should never be in a man. Should never be in a woman, should never be in a church, and it certainly shouldn't be in you. Amen. Amen. You and I are not the hero of our story, the Lord is. And so, what faith actually does, it just receives help. It just receives an already present help. Your faith does not move God. I mean, we just have to say it a thousand times until we all actually start to believe it. Your faith does not move God. Your giving does not move God. Your fasting does not move God. God has moved. He is seated. Everything that you need, you can plug into by believing the truth. If you think that you're moving God, then you will have a legalistic approach to God and you won't enjoy a relationship and you'll think He's this mean, stingy God who's just never impressed with what you do. And you'll fall into this legalistic mindset. You're not trying to move God. God has moved, folks. The Father God is sitting down. Jesus is sitting down. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is down here trying to convince us of these truths. The Spirit of God is the teacher. And so, your faith simply plugs into an already present power. That's it. And, 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 and it plugs into power... But it doesn't just plug into power. Your faith is a form of trust so that you learn how to trust in the goodness of God in the presence of a storm. Because there are times when your faith will end a storm. And there are times when you will trust God through the storm and you will be different on the other side. And just because there's a storm does not mean you don't have enough faith. It means earth is a fallen world. And this place is on fire. And bad things happen. So don't blame yourself for Adam's mistake. And when a storm is happening, it's not time for the blame game. Because carnal man wants to blame somebody. I mean, you know, as soon as the fallen man happened, everybody was trying to blame somebody. Adam's trying to blame God, trying to blame Eve. Everybody's trying to blame. It's, it, it, the blame game is pointless. You know where all blame belongs? Actually, on the cross. All blame belongs on the cross. Jesus paid the debt for everyone who's ever hurt you and for everyone that you've ever hurt or will hurt. He picked up the tab on the offenses of all mankind. And he was innocent, and he buried it. So, blaming people is not the answer. And blaming yourself is not the answer. Now, by me making these statements, I'm not saying you shouldn't have healthy boundaries. I'm not saying you should trust everybody. Can I get an amen? Just take a walk through Proverbs, you know what I'm saying? It'll tell you who you need to hang out with and who you don't need to hang out. Don't get it twisted. 
If you're going to unconditionally trust everybody, you will be in a very bad place. You are called to love everyone. You are not called to trust everyone. I mean, there's no place in Scripture where it says trust everybody. You know, Jesus didn't trust everybody. So, anyway, I'm not trying to get off on that, but when you make a blanket statement about blame, you don't want to remove the responsibility for wisdom. Praise God. You, You have a responsibility to you know, set boundaries and things of that nature. But, but when you're going through a storm, it's not time to blame yourself because saying, I don't have enough faith. It's also not time to blame God. It's not God's fault you're going through a storm. Man, it, blaming God is one of the worst places you can ever be. I have been there. I have blamed God for my childhood. I've blamed God for my church experience. I've blamed God. David blamed God in the Psalms. And uh, it's okay to stay there for a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's not God's fault. Praise God. It's people's fault. But, at, but ultimately, when, when we're under a trial of faith and we're going through a storm, it's not, a, it, it's, it's not about this dynamic of why, 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 and blame, blame, blame. It's just a place of trusting God, and then doing what he tells you to do. That's key. If you're not doing what he tells you to do, then it's not his fault that you get bad results. <laughs> you know, God could be telling you to do something or told you to do something and you didn't do it. And then you're still asking God, what's up? And God may have told you to do something two years ago. And to God, that's moments. If even that. And God's like, well, if you just, you know, do what I told you to do, then you, you know. And so I'm not trying to bring anybody under any sense of condemnation. Because, I mean, you know, this is not about heaven or hell. This is not about salvation or not salvation. I mean, you know, this is about the reality that God's smarter than us. And if we will allow him to be Lord then he can save us a lot of heartache and he can save us a lot of sorrow and he can give us a better life. And there are times when we can be in a situation or a storm in a circumstance and really the reason that's happening is because we just didn't do what God told us to do. And that's not one of them shout me down because I'm preaching goods, but it's reality. But, But faith... And believing is what gives us the ability to overcome. It says in First John chapter four and verse First John chapter five and verse four, it says, "Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world: our faith." And so we're called to overcome the world. We are not called to be overcome by the world. We are not called to be overcome by sin. We're not called to be overcome by sickness and disease and depression. We're not called to be overcome by these things. Now there may be times. When we are challenged, when we are struggling, when we're getting our butts kicked by um, something or a circumstance in our life, and, and everybody here has went through that, and everybody here might even be going through that. So there's no condemnation for it, but understand that God's not called you to live your life getting your butt kicked all the days of your life. And going back to Trey's dream, he was in a struggle while he was in his own strength, but when he, when he released his strength and stepped into God's strength and walked through that door, he was brought into a place of rest. 
And see, overcoming isn't always the circumstance changing. Sometimes overcoming is the presence of peace in the midst of the storm. You can get so free that this world can't control you and run you and own you. You have a peace that God has given to you that is not contingent upon your circumstances. You can operate in a supernatural peace. You can operate in a supernatural joy. You can, there are things in the kingdom that we can have um, that help us to overcome. And so I say all of that to say we're, we are called to, to overcome. We're not called to be overcome. But the avenue that we overcome is trust, is believing, is, is faith. Amen? And so I'm going to go through a couple places quickly here and to try to get where we're going. Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, and I talked about this just a second ago, it says we access by faith into this grace. And so faith is what plugs into an already present grace. Grace comes in an unmerited fashion. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But it doesn't stay like that. Grace becomes God's ability upon our ability. I don't want to walk through life in my own ability. I want God's ability. Can I get an amen on that? Grace is the divine influence upon the heart and the reflection in the life. So when I, when I by faith, by trusting, when I step into grace, I cease from my strength and I enter into God's strength. How many know there are circumstances that you're going to need patience that's stronger than your patience? There are circumstances that you're going to need a peace that's greater than your peace. Can you get an amen? All of these things are available to us, but they happen through believing, through trust, and through accessing this, this amazing grace, right? Now, um, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, I just want to do a quick review. It says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. New Testament obedience is not primarily about behavior. New Testament obedience is about believing properly, believing right. I mean, are we all, how did you, what's the first way that you obeyed God? You believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that He died for your sins and He was raised again from the dead. That is the obedience of faith. That's how you get in the game. That's how you come into the family. And that is the most important thing to God is that you would believe that His Son has made you right with Him and not you. And it's important to God that you maintain that belief all the days of your life because the moment you slip out of that belief and you start to believe that you are the one that keeps you right with God, you are in New Testament disobedience and you are disobeying the commandment of the New Covenant, which is to believe. Now, it doesn't mean that God's against you. It doesn't mean that God isn't for you. I mean, oh, God loves you. God's for you. God's united to you. He's never going to remove himself from you. But you will not enjoy the benefits of having a father who's all-powerful if you think he's mad at you and holding your sin against you. If you think God's mad at you and holding your sin against you, and you're the one that has to keep yourself right or keep yourself cleaned up, you will have no faith towards God. Because your faith will be voided. You will not be able to trust God for anything if you think God's mad at you and holding your sin against you. So the obedience of faith is the success of Jesus. 
We believe that the cross was a success. Can I get an amen? amen. If you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, that means that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That means God is not going to impute sin to you ever again. Sin will never be imputed to you again because your sin has been imputed upon Jesus Christ. He that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. God's not going to impute sin to you. Now, if you do dumb stuff, you will get dumb results. Praise God. We all know it, right? If you go out and sin, it might kill you. But it's not going to change the way God feels about you because you are born again and you're in his son. It's very important to understand. I mean, you have to, because if we don't settle the issue of the cross, we actually can't grow in faith. If we don't have confidence in the blood, we can't enter into rest. Really, the entirety of the preaching of faith isn't faith for things or healing or houses or any of that stuff. It's faith in Jesus. All your faith should be focused on the success of Jesus. And then if you truly believe that Jesus is successful, then you will be able to trust God in the storm. Ah, you will be able to ask God and Him do stuff for you. Your faith will be effective. But it, the foundation and the cornerstone of all your believing is, are you right with God? And if you think that you are right with God according to what you do, you're in New Testament disobedience. Your rightness with God is a person, not an action. I'm not saying your behavior is not important. Your behavior is extremely important. Your behavior is going to have more impact on your life and the lives of those around you than anything else. Your behavior is going to determine whether you're going to actually glorify God with your life or not. Your behavior is going to, see, it's going to determine where you're going to go, the decisions that you make. But your behavior is not what saves you. And your behavior is not what makes you right with God. And if, and if we slip up and start going back to thinking that we can establish our own righteousness or it's based upon our behavior, we are frustrating grace, we are frustrating faith, and we've left the cross and we're trying to be our own Messiah. We're trying to bring our, be our own Christ. And you will have no faith because you will be too busy staring at yourself trying to determine what you have qualified yourself for and you've lost sight of Jesus because you're looking at you. I, I pull no punches in this message anymore. I mean, I'm just like, I'm just telling it like it is. Because, I mean, if we'll just believe this, we will, our faith will flourish. But we must believe this. And so, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, real quick, and we're still in a position of review, but I just, this is, and see, and a lot of times what will happen is people say, well, I know what you're saying. I believe it. I know what you're saying. If you are still dealing with condemnation, if you are still going back to self-righteousness and pride and works and carnality and flesh and the dominion of sin and all of these things... You may have a head knowledge of this, and you may have some element of believing it in your heart, but it's not in you like it should be in you. 
And I'm not saying that to bring a sense of condemnation to you. I'm saying that if you're bored with the gospel, you don't understand it. Because the gospel is not a head knowledge. The gospel is, a, is the revelation of a person, Jesus Christ. And so getting it inside of you and unhooking your confidence in anything that you can do is a process. Your confidence should not stand in the way you look, how much you weigh, how much money you have, what kind of car you drive, what kind of job you have, what kind of church you go to, how well-behaved your children are, what type of business you run, how talented you are, what your gifts are. Your confidence should be all of those things are trusting in the flesh. And we have to unplug our trust in everything else and put it only in Jesus. And when your confidence comes from Jesus, your confidence and your faith will become unshakable. And you'll not be moved by the ups and downs of this life. Because how many know there's always somebody more talented? There's always somebody better looking. There's always somebody that has more money. There's always somebody that has a bigger church. There's always some way that you can compare yourself and become insecure. And if you are putting your confidence in anything that you have produced, then your faith is not on the cornerstone. It's not on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And when you're in the midst of the storm, or if your faith is on what you do for God. If you're putting your confidence, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. That's not going to fly. Because you're not a pretty good person all the time. Nobody in here is. Everybody in here gets, gets in the flesh periodically. So if your confidence towards God is based upon the fact that you're a pretty good person, then when it, when it all hits the fan, your confidence is out the window because the enemy is a master at showing you where you, where you failed. You're going to have to have your confidence in something more than you just being a pretty good person. You're going to have to have your confidence in something more unshakable than that. If you can take all of your eggs and put them into one basket, Jesus, Christ in Him crucified, and that's your confidence. So when I come to God, I don't come to God based on the fact that I'm a preacher. I don't come to God based upon the fact that I've been in ministry for 20 years. I don't come to God based upon anything. I come to God in the name of Jesus. Only the name of Jesus. And that's where the cool stuff happens. Because if there's anything that I'm trusting in, and so I say all these things to say this, please never ever think you've arrived in this revelation because you haven't. I've been, I've been preaching this for probably 20 years. And I still don't have it the way I want it. And I don't say that to bring this sense of performance. I say that, you know, Paul said, I forget those things which are behind. And I press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And, and, and I know that there's greater places in God that I can be more persuaded that the cross was a success and put my confidence in the blood, not in Jeremiah Johnson. See, a good portion of Christianity, they get you to put your confidence in what you can do. And, what you, and, and, you know, these are 10 things you need to do to change and 15 things you need to do in this. Christianity is not a self-help class. It's not psychology. We come here to be rescued. 
It's a rescue. I exchange my weakness for his strength regularly. And, and the primary way I do it is he is my righteousness. He is my right standing with God. Because the question is never, is God strong enough to handle this situation? Right? The question is, is God going to do this for you? And if you are looking at whether you have earned it or whether you have deserved it, you are in New Testament disobedience. You are not on trial. It's always the blood that's on trial. Was the blood successful? If the blood was successful, then that means God is going to be faithful to you. Always. Because His faithfulness towards you is not based upon you. Now, it doesn't mean that your decision making, are, and there are not going to be ups and downs in your decisions. Once again, if you do dumb stuff, you're going to get dumb results. But how many know that's not God's fault? How many know if you do all the dumb stuff, God is still for you? He's cool like that. I mean, he just is. He's always for you. You can't do enough dumb stuff to revoke the cross on your behalf. The only thing you can do is refuse to be saved, which I believe that's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Because the Spirit of God comes to convict the world of sin. What's the, what's the sin that he comes to convict the world of? Unbelief. God can't save somebody that refuses to be saved. God can't save someone who refuses to allow the Spirit of God to convict them that they need a Savior. But other than that, once you're in, you're in. And He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And if we can learn how to put our confidence in Him, then we can really we can flourish and, and, and have our faith become so active that we're in a position of overcoming. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, for though this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. That first principles is not an elementary thing. It's not a, a, a simple thing. It's the word arche um, in the, in the uh, Greek, and it means the initial starting point. Uh, figuratively, uh, that which comes first and is chief and is foremost. It has priority. It's the preeminence. I'm talking about the cross. The cross is the most important thing. It's more important than anything else. And it says you have come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. The vast majority of the body of Christ is unskilled in the word of righteousness. They do not know that Jesus is the one that made them right with God. They think it has something to do with something that they've done. There are massive denominations that have built tremendous cathedrals all based upon what they do to make themselves right with God. Um, but it's not scriptural, and it's actually New Testament disobedience. And I'm not trying to speak disparagingly towards anybody. I'm just bringing out the reality. You do not mature until you get skilled in righteousness. And I'm talking about the righteousness, which is a faith. Because as long as the enemy can condemn you out of you having confidence towards God based upon your conduct, he will. He'll always do it. Every time. So it says, he who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. Solid food belongs to those who have full age, who have by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, that's the word archaic again, once again the foundational things of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. Listen to this, folks. Not laying again the foundation. Everybody say foundation. foundation. 
of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. What does that mean? You don't do anything to make yourself right with God. You just believe. You don't do anything to keep yourself right with God. You just believe. Everything else is built upon that. We must believe that Jesus was enough and that Jesus was successful. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 9. And I want to talk about the offense of this message for just a moment. This is a very offensive message. This is, uh, this is the offense of the cross. They, see, they didn't, they didn't have a problem. The, a lot of times people don't have a problem with Jesus so much as they have a problem with Jesus as our righteousness. That's the offense. The thing that's so offensive to people is that they can't do good deeds to save themselves. It's offensive to people. It really makes people mad. They get really offended. They, 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 they don't have any part to play in their salvation but receiving a gift. And it is very offensive to people. Now, it's the best news in the world because God does all of this for you and you just receive it, but it's offensive. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 30, it says, What, what shall we say then that... What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, the Jews, pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. So us Gentiles became right with God. And the Jews were not right with God. Once, this, once Jesus came. Because the Jews only knew how to be right with God based upon what they did. And then when Jesus came, he let them all know, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no way get into the kingdom of heaven. And what he was saying was, the best Jewish person, Pharisees, Sadducee, is unable to live up to my father's standards. None of you can meet my father's standards. I will meet my father's standards. And then I will invite everyone into me that wants to come by simply believing in me. And then when you believe in me, you now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And everybody understand the reason God is so powerful is because he's right. It's the seed of all of his power. He's right. If tomorrow morning God got up and said that the grass was orange, it would become orange. Because whatever he says happens. Because he's incapable of lying. Because he is right. I know that's kind of a deep, simple concept, but the reason God is so powerful is he's right. And everything that's happening, how many know the earth is in a state of wrongness? Creation is in a state of wrongness. It's in disharmony with heaven. God's will is not perfectly happening on earth. God's will is perfectly happening in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no poverty. There's no, there's no disease. There's nothing bad in heaven. But how many know God has placed His rightness and placed it in you? So you have a piece of rightness in your spirit. And now your entire walk of Christianity is to bring your soul, your mind, will, and your emotions in harmony through truth 
with the rightness that's within you so that there's rightness in your actions and your behavior so that you become a force of rightness in the earth and you right the wrongs and you do the right thing when everybody else does the wrong thing. And you are light when others are darkness and you are salt when others are not. That's the kingdom. And so the down payment of rightness has been placed within you and it can't be hampered with or touched because it's been sealed by the Spirit of God. But all of this is to bring earth in harmony with heaven. How I many know when somebody gets healed, earth just came into harmony with heaven? When somebody gets saved, some, someone in earth just came in harmony with heaven. The, the kingdom inside of you is for the purpose of, over, of, of overcoming and overtaking the darkness that's in the world. But we will not overcome and make crooked places straight until we know that we've been made right. Because when you become skilled in righteousness, you have the ability to discern between good and evil. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Stop thinking you're evil. You are not evil. You are now good. God has made you good. Come on now. Your faith becomes effective through the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. As long as you think that you're evil, as long as you think that you're bad, as long as you think that you're no good, I mean, that's exactly the way you're going to walk. As long as you think, well, I'm just this and I'm just that. No, no, no. That sets you up for failure. No, God needs you to know that He's placed a seed of His Son on the inside of you and it's an incorruptible seed and now God has made you good. Now, your flesh and your carnal mind are still crazy. So, you know, when you have crazy thoughts and you have crazy things going on, please understand, that's not you. That's a part of you that has not received redemption yet. You identify with who you are in Christ. Can you get an amen? And a good portion of your battles are ended when you find out who you are. You know why I don't do drugs anymore? Because I'm not a drug addict. But when I first got saved, I wasn't a drug addict because when I got saved, I stopped being a drug addict in here. But out here, I still was on drugs. But I wasn't a drug addict. I was a child of God. I was a child of God who was learning who he was. Everybody tracking me on that? Now I know more who I am in Christ than I knew who I was in the world, and drugs have absolutely no appeal to me whatsoever because it's not who I am. And so every, any, any type of weakness that anyone's dealing with in here, it's actually not who you are. And the more you awake to righteousness, the more you wake up to who you are, all those things start falling off of your life. And so when you make a mistake, you do something dumb, don't identify with it. Put off the old man. Put on the new man in righteousness and trolling. It's going to get an amen. Most of our battles are a battle of identity. The enemy already lost 2,000 years ago. We're just trying to find out who we are so we can walk it out. The, the real spiritual warfare is truth. It's just believing the truth. And so, anyway. So when you get skilled in righteousness, you have the ability to discern between good and evil. It says, for the offense of it, for they did not, to mount the, the children of Israel, they did not seek it by faith, but as it were the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. So what is offensive to every religion on earth, including the Christian version of religion, and I don't use the term religion in a good sense, I use it in a bad sense, is this. 
You don't do anything to make yourself right with God. And you don't do anything to keep yourself right with God. Jesus is the one that makes you right with God. That's offensive to people. But now, the more that you can put your trust in the fact that you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, faith is going to start to flow out of you. Because you know God's all-powerful, and you know God's going to be all-powerful for you. Because you are right with God. See, it removes the weak link. It removes the ability of the enemy to condemn you. See, the enemy has lost the right to condemn you or to judge you. You have lost the right to condemn yourself and judge yourself. You can, but it's not wise. If you are judging and condemning yourself, you're judging and condemning the blood that cleansed you. The Lord did a good job on making you clean, and you're clean. And, and you know, your primary, our, our primary battle, let's turn to Romans chapter 10, against condemnation isn't from the third person, it's from ourselves. Anybody in here been your worst condemner? Just internally? And I understand that. I've, I've been there too, and still condemnation still tries to come. But when you are condemning yourself, how many know that your life's not yours anymore? How many know you died with Christ? You've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live. So you don't have an identity apart from Jesus any longer. I mean, oh, you're now in Christ, right? Christ is in you. So when, when we make a decision to judge ourselves as unworthy, who are we judging? We're judging the Lord. If the cross is a success. And it was, right? So if the cross was a success, then you should be able to come boldly into the throne of grace to attain help in time of need at any time. You should be able to be confident that everything that your father has is yours. And there's nothing that's off limits. My children don't doubt whether all that I have is... Like <laughs> last night, man. Praise God. This is funny. We was all on the couch. We were sitting on the couch and I knew there was some ice cream in the fridge, you know. And I knew... And I, and I was like... <laughs> this is so funny, man. And so, like, there's some, but it wasn't like good ice cream. It was like some uh, non dairy ice cream. Yeah, for sure. And then the, Ethan had gotten for his girlfriend and she ended up not eating it. And it was kind of, but it was still like some good ice cream, but it was non dairy. And so I was going to swing around and try to snatch the ice cream and get away from all the kids and eat it by myself. <laughs> right? Amen. No, no shame in my game, man. Now, and here's the thing I can get away with that. From everyone but Lily. And I swear, I mean, I, was, I jumped off the couch and I'm gonna swing by, I'm gonna grab that ice cream, I'm gonna sit in the other room and just, just try to eat some ice cream. You know what I'm saying? And Lily come around the corner. She said, Daddy, what you get out of the refrigerator? And I was like, <laughs> Didn't she? Didn't she? She said, What'd you get? I mean, nothing gets by this kid. Nothing. Especially when it comes to sweets. And man, she rolled up on me. And it was so funny. And so, I was, of course, you know, we're going to share this ice cream. Because how many you know she has a right to that ice cream? Because she's my kid. Come on now. And there's no doubt in her mind that that isn't her ice cream. 
And she was so cute. She was in the kitchen, and she's trying to find a spoon. And she's up on her tippy toes, and she's reaching up. Because she wanted her own spoon. She didn't want my spoon. She wanted her own spoon. She's up in there, and she's trying to she pull out a fork, pull out a fork, pull out a fork. She said, ah, forget it. And so she came over to me, and she grabbed my spoon, and then bam, we shared ice cream together. But there was never a moment in her mind when she thought she might be unworthy of what was mine. Never crossed her mind that she might not have the value to have what's mine. Why? Because, how I many know she's born of me? She's my child, right? Listen, you are God's child. And He, see, it would upset me if she felt like she wasn't worthy. Like if she came and she felt like she wasn't worthy to have, that would upset me. That would really bother me. Because A, she wouldn't know who she was, and B, she wouldn't know who I was. So, what makes us think we're unworthy of the promises? We're clean. Our sin's been taken care of. God celebrates that type of boldness. God wants his kids to be bold about what he's provided. You ever bought somebody something and they didn't use it? And it bugged you? Because you bought them something? Yeah, I, I, I mean, y'all have heard me say it many times, but I've bought my mom so many GPSs and she stays lost. And she won't use it. I bought my mom's cell phones. She won't use it. I said, y'all bring your cell phone? Nah, we didn't bring that thing. It was plugged in, you know. <laughs> it's like, man, if you just, you know, use what I bought you, it'd make your life better. But, you know, but think about how much God spent on your righteousness. That your righteousness is the most expensive purchase that's ever been. There's never been anything more expensive. Angels, blood couldn't have bought that. Gold, diamonds, all the paper money in the world. Your righteousness was bought. With Jesus' death, burial. He that knew no sin became sin. So, wouldn't it be honorable for us to walk and live as though it were a success? To not walk around feeling like dirty worms and feeling like we weren't worthy. See, eventually we, we're all going to find out just how right with God we are when we get to heaven. We're all going to find out. There's going to be no white throne judgment for you. You're going to have eternal life. The only people who aren't going to, have, aren't going to enjoy eternal life with God are those that rejected Jesus. Just because God can't save people that refuse to be saved. When you get to heaven, you're going to find out how right with God you 
you actually were while you were on earth. Don't you think it might be cool if we found out early and walked in it and lived as people who God actually loved and who were actually forgiven, who were actually worthy to have all that God promised? So that you'd have the same boldness as my daughter, hunt me down and find my ice cream and snatch my spoon. That delights me, in a sense. I would like to eat my ice cream in peace, but <laughs> but, in the, but for her to know and be confident in her worth and her value, God wants that for you. But see, <clears throat> you've had years of teaching that you weren't worthy and you weren't good enough. Most of us are like abused children. Most of us have went through hell in the name of God. Most of you, it's a miracle that you're even in a church today because of all the hell that you've been through. And I don't blame the churches. I don't blame the pastors and the leaders. I blame the devil. He's always trying to create doctrines Doctrines of devils that cause us to not have confidence in the success of the cross. But you're... So we got to wake up out of this stupor of condemnation and guilt and shame and, and walk as those that are right with God. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The same righteousness that Jesus had has been given to you. I don't want to wait till I die to find that out. I want to find it out on this side. Because on this side, I got enemies. On the next side, I don't have any enemies. And if you want to beat your enemies, you better know that you're right with God. The reason that David could slay Goliath wasn't because he was strong, it's because he knew he had a covenant and Goliath didn't. It's never an issue how big the giant is, it's never an issue how big the problem is. Our God's bigger than everybody. The question is, is our God for us? And the answer is yes. But when we get our eyes off of Jesus and we start downgrading the effectiveness of the blood and his sacrifice, and we would never do that purposefully, but many of us, we've been taught to condemn ourselves and think it was spiritual. I'm done. We're done with it. We're not doing it anymore. But we got to heal. We got to heal. Just like an abused child has got to heal, we got to heal. We got to find out that our daddy loves us and our daddy wants us and he's for us. And it's going to take some time because you can't see him right now. You know, you got this long distance relationship with God. You can't see the countenance of his face. If you could see Jesus today, physically, you'd find out that he, his countenance towards you was good and that he loved you and he was accepting towards you. But, but many of us, we've had years of, the, of an angry face painted on a happy Jesus. Oh, yeah.
It's awesome. It's true. And, and here's, here's the other cool thing about this. Your freedom from the dominion of sin is also in finding out that you're right with God. Like, when you really start to find out that you're right with God, sin starts to lose its hold on your life. It's the most amazing thing in the world. You don't get free from sin through willpower. You don't get free from sin through trying really hard. You get free from sin through waking up to who you are. Because it, it just becomes less attractive. It's like, I don't want that. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's the coolest thing in the world. So not only is it going to give you confidence when you fail, that God still loves you and is for you, it's actually going to keep you from failing. But when you do fail, you, that righteousness is never taken from you. Because it's, it's united to you. Amen? All right, pl final place we close. I'm finishing in nine minutes. Romans chapter 10, and in verse 1, it says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Good portion of the body of Christ is like that. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, of God's right standing, and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So, talking about submitting to God's righteousness and not us trying to establish our own righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So Christ is the end of behavior for right standing with God. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. The righteousness of faith is not about what you are doing. The righteousness of faith is about what you are believing, who you are believing in. Do not say in your heart, who shall ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. It's not about what you do. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, oh, that's real clear, right? Yes. And I think it's sometimes easier for people to believe they're made right with God by believing in Jesus when they're initially saved and more difficult for people to believe that they stay right with God because of Jesus. Because many of us were, were taught that we're saved by faith but then a lot of us were presented with this concept that now we have to maintain our right standing with God. And it's not true. Um, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they've not heard? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good news. Every message in Christianity should be good news. It's good news. It's always good news. What's the good news? God wants to save the whole world. All they got to do is believe in Jesus. And so many of these people think, well, I got to act right. Well, I got to do right. Well, I got to, well, I got to, well, I got to. No, no, no. Actually, no, you don't. You just have to believe. Now, when you believe, you'll get a new nature, and then you start acting different. 
But that fruit that comes on your tree is in God's timing and nobody else's. Amen. No, you just get people saved and then let God, God will work out all the stuff. Anyway, and it says... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the, the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? What does it mean to not obey the gospel? What is it? To not, to not obey the gospel means to not, is, is to, to believe that you can make yourself right with God with what you do. Or make yourself right with God, or keep yourself right with God with what you do. So once again, that's New Testament disobedience to think that you can establish your own righteousness. And you may say, Jeremiah, why is this so important? Why is this so important? Why is this so important? Because this is where all faith comes from. If you want to have great faith, believe the cross is a success. Because when you go to this next verse, it tells you how to have faith. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. It says of God... It's not God. It's not Theos. That's Christos. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word about Jesus. Faith comes by hearing about Jesus. Study it out. Don't take my word for it. It's not Theos. It's Christos. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. The message of... How many of you know Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith? Why can you have faith? Because Jesus has made you right with God. Why is God going to answer your prayers? Because Jesus has made you right with God. Why is God going to protect you from harm? Because Jesus has made you right with God. Why do you have a right to come boldly to the throne of grace? Because Jesus has made you right with God. All faith hinges upon Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So the gospel doesn't just save the lost... The gospel causes faith to arise in those that are already saved. Last place, Romans 1.16. I got three minutes. I'm trying to honor time. I'm trying to honor time. I know if it's a Holy Ghost blowout and God's moving, we don't have a timer. But if not, I'm going to honor your time and we're going we're to make a deposit in you and you're going to have a great week. But, and I'm going to read this to you out of the Amplified. Talking about the gospel... I won't read to you, if I did, I'll read it to you out of the New King James first. Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. How I many you know this morning we've been revealing Jesus as your righteousness? We've been circling Jesus around, showing you Jesus, showing you how beautiful. How I many you know we had moments this morning where we were having those, those moments of fellowship with him and his greatness. We, we, you know what I'm saying? Like we had some moments where everything was real plain. And I love those moments because only the Spirit of God can create those moments. We had moments of emotion. We started realizing the price that God paid for us and maybe how we haven't walked in the fullness of what God paid for us. But as I preach the gospel, I'm not revealing me and my behavior as you're right. How I many know there are preachers that preach themselves? They do. I do this. I give this. I fast. I, 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 I. If you are hearing a preacher just talk about themselves, you're not hearing the gospel. Him we preach. 
If I get up here and I'm preaching myself, it'll, make, it'll, make, it'll bring everybody in this room low. Because everybody think, well, I'm not like Jeremiah. Well, I'm not. And how many know preachers that preach themselves are not fully telling the truth? Because there ain't no preacher that walks on water and is awesome and never makes a mistake. Can I get an amen? It's the truth. You are not called to follow a man or a woman or a preacher or a pastor. You're called to follow Jesus Christ. So I didn't come here to reveal how awesome I was. And I also didn't come here to point out how awesome you were in your own strength. And I also didn't come here to point out our righteousness, which is as filthy rags. If I came up here just preaching the law and just preaching sin and just pointing out what's wrong with you, well, you need to quit sinning. You need to quit doing that. You need to quit doing this. You need to stop cussing. You need to, you need to stop stealing. You need to stop thinking lustful thoughts. You need to stop. You need to blah, blah, blah. If, I, if that's all I did, nobody's faith would increase. Everyone would become self-conscious and they'd be hardwired for failure. And, what they, and, and the only way you can survive that is to become a hypocrite. Because if you're honest, you just quit church. But if you're a good hypocrite, you'll just point out what's wrong with everybody else and feel better about yourself. Oh, gosh, it's true, isn't it? But I didn't come here to reveal our righteousness is filthy rags. I didn't come here to preach me. I came here to preach Jesus. And as I have preached Jesus and revealed Jesus as our righteousness... I mean, you know, peace starts to rise up in your heart. Faith starts to rise up on the inside of you. Because your confidence is based in your Savior and not in yourself. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now let me read this to you on the Amplified because it does a better job with the nuances of the Greek language. Romans 1.17 For the, in the gospel a righteousness which God ascribes is revealed both springing from faith and leading to faith. As you hear the gospel preached, as you see Jesus as your righteousness, faith will rise up in you, trust will rise up in you, confidence will rise up in you, and you'll have the ability to believe that God's going to be faithful to you because you're right with Him. Revealed through the way of faith that arouses to more faith. See, and we're going to get into this later, but how many know that Moses spoke to the rock? Actually, he never did. Moses struck the rock, and the rock poured out water, right? How many know that rock is Jesus? He struck the rock, and it poured out water. The second time, God told him to speak, and he didn't. He struck it, and he messed up the typology. And it prevented him from getting into the promised land. Jesus was crucified one time. After that, you just speak. Oh, that's good. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe that the cross is successful, successful. I believe that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. The water flows, the faith flows, the grace flows out of Jesus. Jesus, it's Jesus. It's always Jesus. And we don't have, we're not, we don't have time to really dig into all of that now. But the answer to great faith is Jesus. We all just need to be convinced 
that the cross was a success. And then we'll have confidence in prayer. Then we'll have confidence in ministry. You're, you're not the one that qualifies you. I'm not the one that qualifies me. You know, yesterday we had the roughest, we had a rough day yesterday. We were trying to pick up some furniture that was really on sale and we, we, we couldn't get it all and we had to go back and we had to get it and then we couldn't get it in the house and we didn't have time and I was supposed to preach this barn revival in Cynthiana and Ethan and Stacy were trying to get the couch out the front door. They couldn't get it out the front door. Had a couple of, of uh, guys doing a, a roofing a house across the street that actually came over and helped help them get it out. I got home from picking up the other pieces of the furniture and they had a skill saw out. And they were right in our house, man, trying to get this thing out. And I get back and I got, I, it's, it's 30 minutes until I have to leave for this barn revival in Cynthiana. I am sweating, I am frustrated, and I am tired, right? And, and, and we don't have time to do anything. We finally get the, the couch out the front door. Me and Ethan take both of the other pieces of furniture. We just throw it in the backyard so nobody steals it. And then I've got to take a shower and head to this revival down here. Now, here's the thing. Was I prepared? Was I tired? Was I cranky? Was I hungry? Perhaps a bit smelly. <laughs> But this is what I know. I'm not standing in my righteousness. It's not about me. And you know what? When I got down there and I picked that mic up and I started to preach the gospel, we had a powerhouse meeting. Because it's not about me. You understand that? It's never about us. It's always about Him. Oh. Because when I'm weak, he's strong. When you're weak, he's strong. Man, so we're going to continue in this and we're going to just continue to walk down this road because I think God's revealing to me how this thing works. And we can have great faith. We just got to stop staring at ourselves and start staring at the Lord. Amen? All right, I'm going to be quiet. Does anybody have anything in closing? Please?